Praise the Lord, everybody. God is good. Thank God for our pastor today. And um, thankful for the opportunity to preach, teach, whatever. And thankful for all of you. God is good to us. Well, let's pray real quick. Thank you, Jesus. We love and praise you and honor you, glorify you. Jesus, you are the only, the true, the living. We thank you for being in this house right now. We love you. Feel your presence this morning. And I'm thankful, Jesus. Praise your great name. Praise your great name. You can be seated today. Luke 10 and verse 10 says, but, I, but into whatsoever city you enter, and, you, and they receive you not, go your ways out of the city of the same, and say, verse 11, even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you, notwithstanding, be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. This word here, or words here, wipe off in the Greek lexicon. For this particular verse, to wipe off means to wipe off for one's self. Now, this is a rhetorical question because I know everyone in the room has had this happen to them, but have you ever just got something on you? Somebody said something and it's like, Mm. You had something happen, and it's like, mm. <laughs> got on you. It got on you. Could be sinful. Could be a voice in your head. It just keeps going over and over. John 14 and 30. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. That was Jesus speaking. No, I'm not today going to glorify the enemy. However, I will say this, that the enemy of our soul has been very successful in his endeavors to cause humanity to follow him being the, via the things that God, uh, that God on us did I do? I probably didn't spell check that, but anyway. <laughs> anyway, he's been very successful of having things get into us. Stuff we stew on, stuff we are troubled about, voices in our head, and very successful. The reason is, is that as the moth goes towards the flame, towards the light, to its own death, so human beings, they're drawn to what is not God, to our own destruction. Hell just simply has to tempt our flesh, and humanity does the rest. The kingdom is empowered by human flesh and the fleshly mind. And we as the church of the living God must not allow the enemy access to our life. In our life, we must not be all about the flesh. We must not allow his thoughts to reign in our minds. Jesus said, he has nothing in me. Hell doesn't have access 
to play with my mind. Jesus said, I have control of that. Jesus had absolute control, and so do we, of the faculties of the mind. Luke 22, he was much better at it than we are. Luke twenty-two fifty-two, 52, be come out, Jesus said when they were going to lead him away. As against a thief with swords and staves, when I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. He said, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Jesus said, this is the hour that you'll be able to get a lot of things on me, but you'll never get anything in me. Of course, I'm talking about the battle of the mind. Now, this is not just to say that he never had anything on him, of course, but he just didn't have anything in him. All right. I can flip the page. Thank you very much. There were times the enemy had put things on him but could never put anything in his mind. Jesus wouldn't allow it. I am of the mindset that every major traumatic thing, sinful thing that humanity faces, every sinful thing was faced by our Lord on his way to Calvary and on Calvary's cross. Matthew 26 and 48 says, Now he that betrayed him gave him a kiss, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. One of the first things Jesus uh, begin to uh, begin to experience after the power of darkness took over was betrayal. Coming at his mind was, how could it be this man that I mentored for three and a half years has betrayed me? We, uh, you know, anyway, I'm moving. He had, he had betrayal thrown on him like a wet blanket. And here's the thing about this. If you've ever been betrayed, Jesus has already been there. He already dealt with it. On his path to Calvary, he dealt with betrayal. Matthew 26 and 59 now the priest, chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus, put him to death, but found none. They, they, though, uh, yea, though they many witnesses, false witnesses came, they found none. And at the last two uh, false witnesses and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God to build it in three days. The high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is this which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. Jesus stood saying nothing because he knew in the moment that you make a plea for your innocence, you've messed it up. Now it's tainted. I can either glorify God with this 
or I can try to prove myself innocent. And Jesus said, I'm going to glorify the eternal spirit of God with this. Do you understand that with every accusation that we face today, Jesus has already been there? He's already done that, been there, done that on his way to Calvary. And then we go on to the spitting, the slapping, the punching, and the mockery. In Matthew 26 and 67 and 68, then did they spit in his face and buffet him. Others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Of course, this speaks of insult first. Do you see here how they were trying to get to him? They were trying their best by what they could put on him to mess him up in his mind. But he would pay no never mind to it. He wouldn't, I'm sure in his mind, he was doing like Loretta Earl used to do when she sang the song Amazing Grace. And she said, the devil doesn't know what I'm talking about. She'd go, uh-huh. you know how she did? Uh-huh. You know, I don't I can't do it like her. But that's what she did. And and that's what he did in his mind. He was not paying attention. He was not letting it mess him up. Doesn't matter what people have done to you. Jesus has already been there. He already paved the way. I don't have to get, let it get inside of me and make me bitter and make me angry and make me jealous and cause me to be hateful because Jesus has already been there. He was mocked with religious mockery. And I want to see the whole world saved. And I believe there will be many that have just a a touch of God but don't know the fullness of truth that will come in. But in this particular case, they were against him. It was those people that crucified him. Anything that's false will always try to mock God. Come down from the cross and save yourself if you're God. Whatever's fake will always try to mock the real, i.e. Ishmael and Isaac. Brother Pleo, you mentioned it. Chenaniah and Nikai. I guess that Jesus has already been there, though. When the morning was come, all the chief priests... The Bible says, and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. But again, there was no plea for innocence. He just simply took what the enemy had put on him, and he kept going forward. Jesus had already been there today. Then there was the robe and the the crown of thorns, the spitting and the mocking. Matthew 27 and 28, they stripped him, put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote it on his head. And afterwards, and after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him put his own raiment on him, and led him away to crucify him. Verse 28 
says they put a robe on him, not like unto the robe that they would put on the palace boys whom royalty used for perverse purposes. Did I tell you today that everything we face, Jesus already faced on his way to Calvary? Do you understand what I'm talking about today? Huh. I'm telling you today, if you've ever had hell hit your mind with the most ridiculous thoughts, Jesus has already been there. Don't worry. Don't just hide out and think you're the only one because Jesus went there and we can fellowship in that with him. We can know that I can get through this. I don't have to be tormented in my mind because Jesus didn't allow his mind to be tormented. He just went on to Calvary to accomplish his purpose. Put a crown of thorns on his head to try to penetrate his mind and then over and over would hit him. Hit that crown. It's like the piercing thoughts that sometimes hell is allowed to ring over and over in our mind that just seems like there is no end to. But Jesus has already been there. They mocked him as posing as a king by dressing him as a king and bowing the knee and, ha and saying, Hail, King of the Jews. This was attempt, an attempt once again by hell to cause him to believe that, uh, to not believe who he was and what his purpose was. I'm telling you, hell wants us to forget who we are. He wants us to forget our purpose. He wants to constantly tell us that we are nothing and we have no future. And we have no hope. But I'm telling you today that Jesus has already been there for us. Matthew 27, 34, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Now, this is a, a commentary here. The drink offering to our Lord was vinegar made of light wine rendered acid. The common drink of Roman soldiers mingled with gall, or according to Mark 15:23, mingled with myrrh. Both expressions meaning the same thing, namely that the vinegar was made bitter by the infusion of wormwood or some other bitter substance, usually according to a merciful custom as an antidote to those who were crucified to render them insensible to pain. Our Lord, knowing this, refuses to drink it. He would take nothing to cloud his faculties or blunt the pain of dying. He chooses to suffer every element of woe in the bitter cup of agony. One of the things that constantly comes to us and is constantly tempting us and this is deeper than maybe we'll take it at first glance, but I pray you meditate and think about this. And that is to take the easy way out. We do it. We've all done it. I do it far too much. But Jesus has already been there. He already conquered that. He didn't take the easy way out crucified him, Matthew 27, 34, 35, and they crucified him, parted his garments, casting lots. 
that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. They put nails in the hands that had done so much healing, Brother Plale. One particular story I think of is, the, is when he touched the casket of the young man for whom's mother, of whom's mother he was trying, he was having compassion on. As they walked out of the city, obviously her only son. And he touches the casket with that beautiful hand. And they took those hands that brought such joy and comfort to that woman and nailed it to a cross. The hands that done many, many miracles. The feet that had walked hundreds and thousands of miles to reach every soul that he could. Back in the day when Cottonwood Creek Center was still around, probably many people don't even know what that is, but in Wasilla where Target is now used to be a mall. My grandmother got a plaque one year for having mall walked 5,000 miles. But Jesus went further than that, Brother Carlos. He went much further than that. Just before they crucified Jesus, they took his clothes. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Despising the shame. That word despising there means to think nothing of. Jesus stood hung between heaven and earth and didn't give it a thought. I don't think of myself as being a very spiritual fellow, but every now and again, God speaks to me. And as I was originally preparing this thought, I asked the Lord a question. And thank God that sometimes when we ask questions, Brother Plato, God also gives us the question. <laughs> gives us the question. Because if not, I would have asked a really cheesy question. And God would have said, nothing. But this particular time, I think God gave me the question. And then he also gave me the answer. And I, told, I asked the Lord, what was the hardest part of Calvary? And immediately, I had an impression in my mind of a word and that word was focus. I don't know if you've ever had 10,000 demons screaming in your ears simultaneously. People haranguing you, being in absolute pain. He was suffering in every single way possible to suffer. And yet, he didn't think about exterior. He had his own intellect going on between him and the internal spirit of God. 
He was just downloading and uploading. Though he had it all going on, focus, though, was the one thing that was the hardest. Oh, <laughs> it's mind-blowing to me that all that could be going on and he would not lose his focus. He wouldn't let it get into him. He wouldn't let it get at him, Brother Flail. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Hardest part of Calvary was staying focused. I feel like today that the Lord extended that thought to me when he said, I felt like he said that in this hour, with all of the hell that's going on, with all of the distraction that's going on, that God is going to give an extra special touch of focus to those who will really try to focus. Hallelujah. I believe it. God is good today. I'm so thankful for Calvary, aren't you? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good. That was good, Brother Stacy. Amen. Staying focused. In Philippians 2.5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verse 13. What's that say? And verse 18. Hmm. I did two and five. Thank you. Talks about all of this. He said, he said, think on these things. Staying focused. It takes work. Four eight. Thank you, sis. It takes focus. But it can be done if you want to. If I want to, it can be done. Not always going to be easy. Sometimes it's easy, though. I, the Lord just kind of gives you those times. You look at it and you go, wow, thank you, Lord. Things are going good. And then take a deep breath because tomorrow morning might not be as good. Doesn't mean God hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. It's just that there's this, there's this constant onslaught, this battle, the enemy trying to influence his people. The people, the people of God, not his people, the people of God. Anybody feel like they need more focus? I do, Brother Stacy. How's the character? Praise God. Stand this morning, if you would, please. We talk about things that make a difference whether or not we can be strong or weak. The things that make us strong. Things that make us strong, and I'm not talking about 
three sets of 15 versus four sets of 10 in your gym, with your gym membership. I'm not talking about whether or not you run three miles or four miles, or you walk two miles on the treadmill at 5%. I'm talking to think about the things spiritually that we work on that make us strong. The things you feed, what you feed is going to be the strongest. What I spend the most on, Brother Carl, that's going to make the difference on. All I do is work on the body. Well, you may look like Adonis. You may have abs of steel, six-pack, eight-pack, Brother Corey. But that doesn't help me spiritually. The things that help me spiritually is when I find that place where I begin to pray. I don't pray because... The pastor says, you need to pray. But he says that because I do. I need to pray. That's good advice. But I need to learn to have a communication, a time when I talk to God, and I'm building the spiritual man. That's when you hear that. It's when he talks to you. When I read and I spend time and I open up my Bible when there's not any interference. And that might be for you moms and you dads. That might be earlier in the morning than your kids got to get up for school. You say, oh, that's when I got to have my, my time on my game on my phone. And I got to have my cup of coffee. Might be late at night when the kids have all gone to bed. And now it's quiet in the house. But you've got that personal time where you begin to spend time in your Bible and you're reading what thus saith the Lord. That's feeding the spiritual man. When you take and you spend time and you say, I'm not going to eat today, given the fact that you may have not some serious illness, I'm not talking about that, but when you just say, you know what, I'm going to deny my flesh for a meal or two. I'm going to push that away, and I'm going to rely on God. You're feeding the spiritual man. Then what you're doing is just like Brother Stacy says. That's why you look at Jesus' life. Where is he? Either on a mountain praying or he's in a garden praying. When he's denying himself of 40 days of food, and then the devil comes to him, and but he leaves. Those are things that decide what's going on right in here. If all I do is feed this flesh, I guarantee you, I'm just going to have fleshly thoughts, fleshly motives, and fleshly desires. You can talk about heaven and living right all you want, but if I spend all my time feeding a man, that's what I'm going to be. Chew on that. Church, that's good teaching. Anybody want to come pray today? I'm going to sing some choruses. You want to come to this altar? You heard me say, I'll say it till I'm blue. These altars are open. They're open. 